0: We all remember that one couple from when we were
1: teenagers.
0: You know, the couple in your friend group that's super cutesy and always by each other's side.
1: I would leave you notes on your car.
2: I do remember that.
1: Like, you know, I love you. I hope you have a good day today. Can't wait to see you.
2: I thought he was so funny and he was like so nice to his friends. And he just like seemed like a really cool person that I wanted to hang out with.
0: That's Taylor and Gavin. They were that couple. The couple where one day, not long after high school graduation, you hear from a friend of a friend about their wedding announcement. And your first thought is, whoa, already?
2: I told him I liked him in January of 2007. And then he told me he loved me in June. And I think we got engaged in October.
0: After less than a year of dating, Taylor and Gavin, at age 19 and 21, decided to get married in their hometown, in Oxnard, California. The two of them are self-proclaimed nerds who love Pokemon and share the same kind of humor. As a nickname, Taylor called Gavin Elmo. She liked how his face would turn bright red whenever he got nervous. Gavin liked how whenever Taylor shared a story, her whole body became animated. Like if she's talking about a dog, she's getting on all fours to really paint the picture. Neither of them could imagine being with anyone else. Were there people in your life at the time... Being like, oh, y'all are too young, or maybe wait a bit. Oh,
1: everybody. Everybody. <laughs> really? My, yeah, my my best friend was supposed to be the best man at our wedding, but he didn't want to have that role because he didn't think that it was a good idea.
0: It was definitely the kind of wedding where you show up as a guest, you're trying to be supportive, but the whole time you're thinking, but they're just so young. So young that Taylor was too nervous to take a celebratory sip of champagne in front of her parents. And it wasn't just youth and expectations working against them. This was 2008. The recession was in full swing. Gavin was working for his mom at this local real estate magazine that she ran. Obviously, the housing bubble hit them hard, and she was forced to downsize from 60 employees to just four. Gavin was one of those layoffs. And then the night of their wedding, Taylor noticed a voicemail waiting for her.
2: I was in the bathroom. And I decided, like, this is a good time to look at the voicemail that's on my phone. And so I listened to it, and I was like, you've been laid off.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: And it was, like, so blunt. And it was just, like, a shock. And then they were like, "Okay, bye.
0: So here they were, both of them unemployed and newly married. The short-term plan was to move in with Gavin's parents and live in his childhood bedroom. And they figured, surely, the rest would
1: sort itself out. I knew that it was going to be different than what a traditional marriage that you see on TV would look like, but I still thought it was going to be fantastic.
2: I think I just like fooled myself into thinking like you just get married and then your life is perfect and everything works out.
0: I'm Rima Grace and you're listening to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. A lot of us grow up with certain ideas about what a happy marriage should look like. You know, we dream about a house, some kids or pets, financial stability, emotional support. No one says, I do, while dreaming of the hard times. But for a lot of people, marriage can be an extreme case of expectations versus reality. Especially when you get married young. Just think of your late teens, early 20s, assuming that's behind you, and just how much you change during those formative years. What happens when you're young and in love and optimistic, and then life inevitably throws you one curveball after another? How do you move forward together? And can a relationship survive that kind of pressure? This week, we hear from listeners of the show who wrote in to share their story. They're a young couple who's faced as many challenges as what you might expect in, say, a 40 year marriage. It's a story about surviving crises financial, medical, emotional, and learning how to lean on one another through those tough times. After Taylor and Gavin got married, it felt like they needed some kind of financial miracle, something to help get them out of Gavin's childhood bedroom ASAP. And within weeks, they weirdly did get that miracle, though at first it appeared to be more of a misfortune than a blessing. You see, a few years earlier, while he was still in high school— Gavin had been injured in a freak accident. A three-year-old was playing in a pickup truck as Gavin was walking down the street. The toddler pulled the emergency brake, sending the truck rolling back down the driveway just as Gavin was passing by. He'd been hospitalized with some broken bones and thankfully recovered by the time he and Taylor got married. But there'd been this ongoing legal battle ever since. With the help of his dad, Gavin was able to negotiate a big settlement with the insurance company of the child's parents, to the tune of $100,000.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. The day that we got the check, I wanted to buy a car, Um, (laughs) and my bank wouldn't let me take out enough to get the car because the check was so—I had just deposited it. And so I think I had to talk to the branch manager or something to let them give me a cashier's check for the amount of money to go buy a car.
0: (laughs) And the spending did not stop there.
2: Right after we got the check, I think we deposited it. We went to the mall. We bought like a million DVDs at Target. We went to one of our favorite stores and bought a ton of clothes. And Gavin got some watches.
0: That's so funny. I see you all just like walking through the mall, carrying like comically large bags.
1: (laughs) We bought a dog.
0: No, you didn't.
1: Yeah, the mall had like a pet store and we're like carrying this dog through the mall.
0: (laughs) Was that an impulsive decision?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: I remember that at the mall, somebody asked us like, oh, is it her birthday? Because we were just like, just basically buying whatever we wanted in every store. That
0: initial shopping spree came out to about $2,000, including the puppy. They eventually moved out of Gavin's parents' house into a fancy two-bedroom apartment, And sure, it was expensive, but they were two young newlyweds with more money than either of them could have ever imagined at that point. So, financial planning?
1: Man, the plan at that point was, we thought that we had never-ending money.
0: Neither of them have a college degree, so it was a bit harder to land new jobs. But eventually, Gavin got a gig as a graphic designer at a lighting company, and Taylor started working at the local school district. Even so, they relied heavily on that settlement.
1: I remember I just wouldn't even deposit my checks for, like, months at a time because I didn't need to.
0: But of course, the dream couldn't last forever. And before long, they started feeling the effects of their carefree spending. Like, they couldn't afford to make it to the end of their lease, so they had to downsize to a one-bedroom. It was clear the money was going to run out soon. And as their money situation began to shift, so did their relationship.
1: That's when it started getting really tense, with arguing about money and, you know, not being responsible. I
2: knew that I spent a lot of the money, but at the time I felt like a lot of this is Gavin's fault for some reason. And he's spending more money than me. I was like, if we hadn't done this, then we'd still have money and we wouldn't be in this position. And then of course, like Gavin didn't agree with that. So then we would fight about it and scream at each other. It was really bad.
0: And this is the first time that the reality of what they'd gotten into started to hit them. They'd only seen marriage through rose-colored glasses. Based on the rom-coms Taylor grew up watching, marriage was supposed to be easy. And they'd both grown up in households where there were rarely any arguments and definitely no financial struggles, as far as they knew. But for Taylor and Gavin, the endless money train coming to a halt was just their first hurdle. The next one would be their toughest yet. In the summer of 2009, Taylor found out she was pregnant. It was a huge shock to both of them.
2: When me and Gavin first started dating, I told him I didn't want any kids. And it wasn't until I got pregnant that, like, everything changed.
0: Suddenly, Taylor felt excited about the idea of starting a family. And Gavin felt the same way. But they were also pretty freaked out.
1: I was happy, you know, and excited to to start a family, for sure, who wouldn't be? Um, But yeah, I was nervous and scared. And I thought that, I'm not ready yet. We're too young, we haven't been married long enough.
0: They were only 20 and 22, a year into their marriage, and just about broke. With the money from the settlement pretty much gone, they decided to move back in with Gavin's parents. The plan was to save more money and find a new place before the baby came. But as if all of that wasn't enough, just a few weeks later, Gavin was laid off from his job at the lighting company.
1: I was in such shock, like living at my parents' house with a baby on the way and no job and no prospects of a job.
0: Taylor tried not to show it, but every day she was feeling more and more frustrated about their financial situation. She'd grown up with the expectation that she and her partner would both pull their weight and provide for the family that it wouldn't all just be on her. But now, back in Gavin's childhood bedroom, she wondered if that day would ever come. And unfortunately, the excitement of finding out she was pregnant eventually gave way to an entirely different set of emotions.
2: When they did the ultrasound, they said, it's going to be a boy. And I was like, okay, great. And then they were like, but you should probably call your doctor.
0: They were about to go on vacation with friends, so Taylor thought, Well, that call can probably wait. She'd found out the sex of the baby. What else did she need to know? During the trip, Taylor was telling everyone just how excited she was about her pregnancy.
2: I never considered the people that wait like a couple months to tell people that they're pregnant. I never thought about that. It was like the second I found out I was pregnant, I went and told everyone I knew.
0: Then in the middle of their trip, Taylor gets a call from her doctor.
2: She just said, hey... I just called because I thought maybe you wanted to think about getting an abortion. And I was like, what? And I couldn't hear. So then I stepped into another room and then she said, you know, there's something wrong.
0: Her doctor told her she could do more testing, but that the baby had a rare genetic disorder that would lead to severe intellectual and physical problems. The chance that the baby would survive the pregnancy was very low. Taylor didn't want to get an abortion, but her options after that conversation felt limited. Back at home, her mind raced over all the possibilities. She'd lay in bed at night next to Gavin, unable to sleep, agonizing over what to do. None of her thoughts brought her any comfort.
2: That just left me in the position of, like, waiting for him to die or waiting until I was, you know, full term and giving birth to him and then him maybe dying after that. You're just thinking about all of the possibilities of what's going to happen, like, you know, is he going to die soon? Um, What happens when he dies? You know, what if he does survive? Am I going to be able to have more kids?
0: She was just two months pregnant when she decided she'd carry her baby to full term. During the pregnancy, she tried to keep a brave face around family and friends. Some had actually pointed out how strange they thought it was that she wasn't more emotional.
2: In my mind, I thought, like, maybe there was still a chance that he'd survive. So I thought, like, there's no point in being upset and crying about it. But as time went on, I noticed all of a sudden that he wasn't kicking. And he used to kick constantly. And so I knew something was wrong.
0: She rushed to the hospital. At that point, she was seven and a half months pregnant. The doctors told her that the baby's heart had stopped beating. She had a stillbirth. Taylor and Gavin stored the new baby clothes in the garage and gave themselves a few weeks to process the loss of their child. But eventually, they both figured their grief needed to come to a neat ending.
2: I remember we planned a party, like, a month after he died and invited, like, 100 people to our house for a party because we were just trying to forget, and we just wanted to have fun and, and not be depressed anymore.
0: It was an 80s party. They hired a DJ, and Taylor made Pac-Man cupcakes for their guests. But during the actual party, Taylor spent most of the night sitting in a corner. Her body was in too much pain. They admit that throwing a party like this so soon after a big tragedy almost feels satirical. But I also kind of get it. They were young and a bit in denial. It was easier to pretend that this terrible thing didn't just happen to them. — But when you're in a committed, long-term relationship and you go through something as traumatic as a stillbirth, I think it can usually lead to one of two outcomes. It can bring you and your partner closer together, or it can create distance. For Taylor and Gavin, the latter happened. After the stillbirth, they once again moved out of Gavin's parents' house and got a cheap studio apartment. Taylor turned her focus to things that could change their situation around. She picked up a second job at the school district and started going back to school full-time. Meanwhile, Gavin still wasn't working. He was on unemployment. Taylor would come home, day after day, and find him in front of the TV, game controller in hand.
1: And I think that probably started up money fights again.
2: I felt like I was working so hard so that we could get out of the situation we were in, and he was just, like, goofing off.
1: I was trying to get a job. I was actively looking for work. I was putting in resumes and stuff. You know, I didn't have a ton of experience, but I was trying.
0: Gavin was hoping to find a job as a graphic designer, but it was hard without a college degree. Taylor was supportive, but she also thought that in between looking for the type of job he wanted, he could do something, anything else, to help contribute to their finances.
2: I felt like he wasn't being realistic about finding a job that maybe wasn't what he dreamed about. Like, if you get a job somewhere that's minimum wage, you'll get paid more than you're getting on unemployment. So, like, this is ridiculous.
0: And not only was he not working, soon enough, he was actually costing them money. He decided to start a band with some friends. He was their drummer. And while they got paid for some of their gigs, a lot of the times, they were the ones paying venues in order to play. Gavin didn't harbor any ideas of the band selling millions of records or playing sold-out arenas, but it was this nice escape. To Taylor, though, it started feeling like he was trying to escape being around her.
2: The hardest part was feeling like I was alone. Like, I worked all day. I didn't have friends at work. And then I went home and sat there by myself. um, And it just was like, it was lonely. I think he thought I was nagging him or just making complaints. But I really just genuinely wanted to spend more time with
1: him. I was trying at that time, to think about, you know, ways that we could better our life. And we were fighting a lot. So when you're you're constantly fighting, you know, it's hard to actually want to spend time with that person when a good chunk of the time spent together is spent arguing.
0: Gavin did end up finding at least a part-time job working at Rite Aid, which came with some perks. Like every now and then, Gavin would surprise Taylor with cheap vodka, or they'd make a trip to the store together for free ice cream. You could say those were the happier moments together. For the most part, though, over the course of a year, Taylor would come home after a long day of work and school to an empty apartment while Gavin was usually off either at work or playing with the band. And when they were home at the same time, in their tiny studio apartment, they would sit on opposite sides of the room, often ignoring each other. It felt like the only time they did talk was to argue about their finances. They were always penny-pinching, like they'd source their Wi-Fi from someone in the building whose password they guessed.
2: We would be eating like Top Ramen every single day for forever, and then Gavin would go and spend money on something that he thought he needed, and I would freak out about it.
1: You know, an Xbox or video games or something like that, something that Something that I felt that I needed slash wanted. And I didn't mind eating Top Ramen every night.
0: Their fights would usually happen late at night, right before bed. And both of them, feeling tired and irritable, would start lashing out at each other.
1: It was, you're an idiot for doing this, and I'm going to make you feel like that.
2: Like, you're stupid for never just telling me or asking me if you can get something. And I would ask you if I was gonna get something expensive, so I don't know why you can't ask me.
0: Taylor was just so incredibly frustrated, and she felt like the only way she could express it to Gavin was by raising her voice or putting him down. But at the time, what she wished she could have said was just how scared she felt, how badly she wanted them to be financially stable so that one day, hopefully soon, they could try for another baby.
2: After our son died, All I wanted to do was to replace him to make myself feel better. And I didn't want to be working. I wanted to be taking care of our kid. So, like, I was only getting on Gavin because I wanted him to be able to provide for our family.
0: As it often goes in relationships, fights about money or spending quality time together are rarely ever about those actual things. You can usually pin them to much deeper needs or desires. And for Gavin and Taylor, their frustrations, their disappointments, a lot of it stemmed from unresolved feelings related to the loss of their son. Even though they tried their best to bounce back, the reality was that they were still reeling. Gavin's approach was to keep himself moving. The video games, the band gigs. Yeah, he was 23. He wanted to have fun. But they were also a way of numbing himself. The pregnancy had been agonizing, and even though they both tried to convince themselves, they were over it.
1: It was hard up, up through the very, very end. It took a, a lot out of me that I think I never got back.
0: But instead of talking about how they were feeling, they argued over unpaid bills, the phone or electricity getting cut off. They both remember one night when things got especially heated. They were standing in their bedroom about to go to sleep when Taylor begged Gavin can you please be more financially responsible or at least say you're sorry for spending our paychecks on video games?
2: Like, I just want him to apologize and him to admit that he was wrong and that he would never do it again.
0: But Gavin wouldn't apologize. And so Taylor, feeling like she was out of options, gave an ultimatum.
2: If, if you don't apologize, then I'm gone and I'm never coming back.
1: Fine, leave then.
2: Taylor pulled out her suitcase and started filling it with her most
0: sentimental things, pictures, jewelry, also whatever money she had lying around. She zipped it up and marched out of the room. I hate you, she said, and I never want to see you again.
1: I think I woke up the next morning and I would try to buy something and the card would get declined.
0: Gavin checked their bank accounts and found that Taylor had drained all their money and moved it to her personal account. He called her up and was like, what the heck?
1: You can't just do that. I, I need to buy stuff. I need to get gas. I need food. You can't just take all of the money and expect to leave me with nothing.
2: Taylor shot back. You should have thought about that before you went and did whatever you did. But here's the
0: thing. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. This fight, or some version of it, happened at least 10 times. Each time, Taylor would be gone for no more than a couple days.
1: A lot of the times I knew that it was just a... You know, an outburst, and that it would resolve itself. But there were times when I thought that, maybe, you know, is this gonna, is this it? Is she gonna file for divorce? Am I gonna have to file for divorce? Is, is she really not gonna come back?
0: And in that moment of panic, he'd say the things that Taylor had wanted him to say all along.
1: I would promise that I would do better. I, I promise that I would start making more money. I think I said those exact words verbatim. Like, I promise I'll start making more money.
0: Whether Gavin followed through on that promise, that's after the break.
2: Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.
0: Since the beginning of their marriage, Taylor felt like she'd been the one unfairly carrying the financial weight of their relationship, just trying to keep them afloat. But like in a lot of long-term relationships, a dynamic is not forever. Taylor did end up getting what she wished for, but not exactly how she'd envisioned it.
2: Pretty much simultaneously, Gavin's life started turning around for the better, and my life started falling apart.
0: Gavin's professional luck turned around in 2014, about six years into their marriage. One day, flipping through a real estate magazine, he noticed that a lot of the photos of the homes listed for sale weren't that good.
1: And I kind of always had photography as as a hobby. And so I was thinking, hey, this could be a lot better.
0: He developed relationships with some real estate agents in the area after working at his mom's magazine. So he reached out and was like, hey, I can take some photos of your listings. Just try me out. And when the agents got back the photos, they were like, oh, this is actually really good.
1: And it eventually just started taking off.
0: Agents started hiring him for more and more gigs. And Gavin started to think, maybe I can make this into a full-fledged business.
2: He got a lot of jobs fairly quickly, and it, but it still scared me quitting something that was reliable to do something that's maybe not as reliable.
1: I would just say, like, you know, don't you trust me? I mean, I think that was the basis of it, was just like, come on, just have some, some faith in me that I can make this work. You know, if... They always say that if you can find a job that you love, that you'll never work a day in your life. And so it was something that I... (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: It felt like it.
1: It felt like it, yeah. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I think it shifted for me because it was something that I liked doing. Going to work didn't feel like work.
0: Up to this point, Gavin and Taylor figured he was destined to keep working low-paying nine-to-five jobs that he hated. He didn't realize he'd be the kind of person who essentially gets lucky, who stumbles across something that not only lights them up, but can be lucrative. Before he knew it, he had enough consistent clients that he could do photography full-time.
1: Once I quit my other normal office jobs, I realized really fast that I could never go back to that.
0: He was starting to make about $5,000 a month. And the switch in careers brought other changes with it, too.
2: It wasn't just like, wow, Gavin's making more money now. Like, the change in him was so dramatic. He started coming home and he was like, I can't wait to show you these pictures I took. He'd come home and we'd sit up until like 3 o'clock in the morning, just like talking while he edited photos. And I was really just happy during that time, because he was so happy and so excited.
1: I feel like when my business started taking off, it was, now this is proof that I can show Taylor and present this to her and be like, look, I did what I said I was gonna do. You don't have to worry so much. But for her, things were going the complete opposite.
0: As Gavin's career began taking off, Taylor's was falling apart. She'd been working as a librarian at a local school, making about $15,000 a year. And she was regularly calling in sick.
2: Going through periods of time where I was, like, so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, you know, take a shower, brush my teeth, feed myself. Like, and then I started to realize that that wasn't normal.
0: She'd had these kind of episodes in the past, but she'd shrugged them off. Like, doesn't everyone experience this?
2: A lot during this time, Gavin would say things like, just get up and you'll feel better, Mm. you know, Just stop feeling that way. Wash your face. Eat
1: breakfast. Yeah, and then, like, just go about your day and everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing to worry about. But I just didn't understand. I didn't get it.
2: And I would yell at him and I'd be like, just leave me alone if you can't say anything nice. Taylor was also
0: beginning to realize how her emotional reactions sometimes felt disproportionate to what was actually going on. Like running late to something or her cat making a mess could spoil her whole day, making it impossible to do anything else. She started to see a psychiatrist who eventually diagnosed her with bipolar disorder. For once, Taylor was optimistic.
2: They're going to prescribe me something, and I'll feel better, and I'll never have to worry about it ever again, and uh, it's going to fix all the problems I have in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. So he felt relief? Yeah. The diagnosis helped her connect the dots in her life. Like in her marriage, she of course had very real reasons to be upset. But now there was at least more context for her sudden mood shifts or the big fights she'd get into with Gavin. The diagnosis also helped explain her troubles at her job as a school librarian and these arguments she'd get into with her bosses. She eventually got on the medication, and while that helped with things, the problems didn't go away fully. Like a lot of people in public education, she felt overworked and underpaid. She hated how anxious her job made her feel and how she'd take that frustration out on Gavin and the people closest to her.
2: And so then it became really clear that, like, I just was not capable of having a really stressful job or working for an extensive amount of hours without suffering some kind of consequence from it.
0: And things only got worse when she stopped taking her medication every day. She was caught in an awful cycle. She'd call out sick. Her coworkers would complain, which would make her even more anxious. So she'd call off again, fall behind even more on her work, and repeat. And quitting her job didn't feel like an option.
2: If I quit my job now, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with no job. Mm. If I had kids or something, I could just say, like, I'm just going to be a stay-at-home mom or I'm, I'll find something else to do. But I just didn't want to be like a stay at home person that watches TV and eats snacks all day.
0: But that didn't stop Taylor from fantasizing about leaving. In fact, she got as far as coming up with an escape plan so she could bounce at a moment's notice. At her desk, she kept photo frames, coffee mugs, snacks.
2: When I started to get really stressed, every day I'd whatever could fit in my purse. I would bring back home with me, like a photo on my desk or the coffee mug. And I'd do that every day until all the stuff was gone. Wow. That way, no matter where I was at work, if I felt like just getting up and leaving, I had everything I needed right there.
0: Quick escape, yeah.
2: And then slowly, if I I was feeling better again, I'd slowly bring the things back.
0: And whenever Taylor would complain to Gavin about her job, he'd respond with the same question. Why don't you just quit?
1: Just quit? just leave if you can't handle it and it's, it's too much stress for you. Like, I don't think you need to work. We can figure it out. We can survive without you working.
0: Taylor flirted with the idea of quitting for about four years until finally one day she hit a breaking point. It was a terrible day at work. Her boss had chewed her out and she was on the verge of tears. She decided that would be her last day and she'd planned for it accordingly. Her desk was already cleared of her things.
2: And I just said goodbye to everyone, like as if it was any regular day, and I just left. Taylor
0: officially called it quits at the end of 2021. And while she knows that not working is the best decision for her right now, she still has feelings of doubt.
2: I have always had like a problem measuring my self-worth based on what other people think of me. I was concerned about what other people would think of me if I didn't have a job, and my other biggest concern is just what Gavin thinks. I just thought, like, maybe in the short run, he would think, oh, it's fine for Taylor to not have a job as long as she's happy. But I just assumed that, like, after a year or two, it would start to bother Gavin. And I just didn't want me quitting my job to come between us. Mm.
0: Did you ever tell that to him?
2: Um, I don't know. No.
1: Is, is this...
0: No. (laughs) Is this your first time hearing that?
1: This is my first time hearing that.
0: Mm. What do you make of it?
1: I would never take your happiness and put it underneath whatever type of societal things that we place on ourselves, like having work or making money. I just want you to be happy.
2: It's it's still just, like, difficult for me to hear and believe it.
0: Mm. Why is that? I,
2: it's, not, it's not something personal with Gavin. Like, I don't want to say I'm a crappy person, but sometimes I'm just so depressed that I can't get a lot done. And so if I was the person that was spending all day at work every day and I came home to this person that was, like, sitting in their pajamas in the evening still... And hadn't done anything all day. Like, I don't know how I would feel.
1: But I think that's this this stigma that we place on mental health is that we're not viewing it the same way as if, you know, Taylor had cancer and I came home from a long day at work while she stayed home and did chemo and she's weak and can't do anything. Like, of course, anybody would say, That, oh, yeah, I would be there. I would take care of that person. But for some reason, with mental health, because it manifests itself in a different way, and it looks like just somebody being lazy or somebody being mean, that it gets this stigma that it's not a real condition that somebody's battling. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like, yeah, you would be supportive.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does that give you some assurance hearing that, Taylor?
2: (laughs) Kind of.
0: (laughs) When Taylor pauses to think about the dynamic in their relationship, it feels strange that they find themselves in this position. Over the last several years, there's been a complete role reversal in their marriage. After she'd been the one shouldering the financial toll for so long, Taylor never expected to be this reliant on Gavin. And she's still learning to be okay with that. But it's also comforting knowing that she can count on him in a way she wasn't sure she could before, when they were both so young and still figuring themselves out. I am curious, like, thinking back to everything we've talked about, is there anything that, you know, if you could go back in time, you wish you would have told the other person? And if so, what would that be?
1: I think that if I could go back to the very beginning and tell Taylor I would I would say that I love you more than I've loved anybody ever in my life and I'll always be there and I'll always I'll always be there when you need me like you know I'm from far in the future <laughs> and look we're still together and everything's fine so don't worry so much.
0: How does it feel hearing that, Taylor?
2: Um, I definitely teared up. Aww. Um I know that like, I have such a difficult time sometimes saying out loud how much I appreciate you, and I probably never really apologized fully for how I reacted in some of those situations. I wish I could go back in time and and not do and say the, the things that I did.
1: Thank you. Mm. I think that we've learned to be with each other for good and bad. And uh, we've definitely had our share of bad. And uh, I think pulling through and... Not deciding to throw in the towel has definitely brought us closer together, closer than we've ever been in the past. I just want to focus on moving forward and being happy together.
0: I like to think of long-term relationships as a dance. There can be a lot of give and take, times when you trade off who's shouldering more of life's burdens. And when you're young, still learning so much about yourself, about how you communicate or how you value money, that dance can look like a hot mess. You bend and move in ways you never expected. Taylor and Gavin know they still have a long way to go. So many more financial and emotional spins and dips they can't even begin to predict. But they also know something now that their 19 and 21-year-old selves standing at that altar didn't quite grasp. That life with your partner is a lot easier when you take turns leading the dance, as long as you manage to stay in step. Right, that is all for our show this week. Like I mentioned earlier, Taylor and Gavin are actually listeners, and they initially emailed us to share their story as a potential money fight segment, and it turned out to be so much more. We always love to hear your stories and how these episodes resonate with your own lives. You can email me and the team with your thoughts, your own story, at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Also, I know today's episode dealt with some heavy themes, mental health, pregnancy loss, and grief. So we wanted to share a few resources that might help if you or a loved one are going through something similar. You can find them on our webpage at marketplace.org slash uncomfortable. And once again, if you haven't already, you should definitely sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Friday, we've got recommendations in your inbox on interesting and fun things to read or watch or cook. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort. If you're already subscribed, by the way, you might have noticed a new segment we're calling Defend Your Splurge. Basically tell us why you bought that thing. We won't judge. Like our producer Alice bought an armchair that cost $100 for her sister's dog. And our intern Kenal paid more than what he would have liked for a not totally necessary rideshare. And now we want to hear how you treated yourself and why. Send us your story and a photo and we'll feature the best ones in our newsletter. You can email your submissions to Uncomfortable at Marketplace.org.
1: This episode was lead produced by me, Markay Green, and hosted by Rima Kreis. We wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from producers Alice Wilder and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. I'm also our digital producer, with help from Tony Wagner. Our intern is Kunal Patel. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And our theme music is by Wonderly. This is Uncomfortable is supported in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, partnering with organizations and people working for a better and more just future since 1985.
0: All right, before we go, next week on our season finale. I'm like a silent freaking maid ghost. One woman, faced with her husband's mess, goes on strike and documents the whole experience online.
2: There's no way that I'm experiencing this alone. There's no way.
0: That's next week on This Is Uncomfortable. We'll catch y'all then. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need to change a pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway, maybe somewhere tropical. Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app.